The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, if you would please find in your Bibles Galatians chapter 3. We'll be at the end of chapter 3 going into chapter 4 today in a message that I've called His Favorite Name is Father. I know that probably conjures up some thoughts in your minds. Where, where am I going with this? What are we talking about exactly? But uh, let me just say by way of introduction, being a parent to me is a very unique feeling. It's kind of like it's, it's a paradox. It's, um, I feel like I'm in control and at the same time, completely out of control. Uh, I feel like this, there's huge weight of responsibility. And at the same time, I feel like I'm completely inadequate, unprepared to do the job that's been given to me. And so I found this picture. I think this kind of sums up how I feel. Um, I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. Um, so that, that's kind of the, the, the feelings that are at war within my mind. So one difference between man and God, I mean there are plenty of differences, but one in particular, God always knows what to do. This is one of the many reasons why He alone is worthy of our worship as we sang this morning. His omniscience, His all-knowingness enables Him to always know what to do in every situation, every circumstance. He knows the perfect times, perfect ways, the perfect places, the perfect uh, people to send into your path, the, the words you need in a given situation. He knows all those things. And He knew the perfect time to send His Son into this world, to be born among men, to take the form of a servant, to die on a cross for our sins. In fact, His plan of redemption was so flawless, He didn't have a plan B, because He didn't need one. He has adopted us into His family if we have placed our faith in the person and the work of Christ His Son. He's a good and loving Father to His children. And that truth is really at the heart of the Gospel message. So I want to read this morning from Galatians chapter 3 beginning in verse 26 and we'll go down to verse 7 in chapter 4. And as the Apostle Paul's been inspired to continue this, this argument for the, for the church's benefit of why it's all about faith in Christ. Here's what the Bible says, Galatians 3, starting verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's not male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Literally, it says Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Father, I thank You for this day, and I pray in Jesus' name. Please speak clearly to us today. Take this word that we've read and give us understanding, I pray, by your grace, that we would also have strength to obey what you tell us, to hear and understand the truth that's before us, and that in all things you would be glorified in us and through us. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. This passage of Scripture, as the, I believe the last two have been this way, continues this argument. Paul is just getting more expansive in his explanation of why it's such a big deal that we have faith in Jesus and we don't put our trust in anything else. We don't put our trust in stuff we do. We don't put our trust in things we have. We put our trust, all our trust and faith is in Jesus alone. And that's sufficient. And that's Paul's argument. It's not that it's an either or, it's this is the best and only solution. And so here's where we need to concentrate. So in this text today, there's two major uh, points, I believe, in, in the divisions of the text, the way the paragraphs are broken down. And so there's two main things we want to talk about. The first one is this. Place your faith in Christ to be in God's family. And this seems like it's a repetitive or it's like a foregone conclusion. Well, of course that's what you do. Right? And you look at verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So it kind of makes sense. We need to place our faith in Christ if we want to be in God's family. Okay? But look at how Paul kind of summarizes his argument to this point. He says, You are all. That's an interesting, interesting uh, word in Greek. You know what that means? All. That's, yeah. I heard a preacher say one time. All means all, and that's all all means. All. It's, it's inclusive. Uh, it's not hard to understand. It's very straightforward. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So how is it we're sons of God? How are we children of God? It's by faith. Right? It's by faith. That's the resounding theme of the New Testament. It's faith in Christ. It's nothing else. It's not faith plus something. It's not Jesus plus this. It's faith in Christ. That's it. That's enough. But then he says, in verse uh, 27, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. I'm going to get a little bit more specific on that in just a moment, but let me just say what that tells us. Do you ever wonder why 
many, most, I would say many, but most Baptist churches baptize the way we do. Because a lot of churches do baptism, but Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches in particular, are very specific about the method of our baptism. It's immersion under the water, right? So, does it, you ever wonder why? Exactly, that's exactly right. It's a, it's a picture. First of all, what is baptism? Baptism is a, a public profession. I am with Christ from here forward. Okay, so it's a... It's, uh, I'm trying to identify myself with Christ. But the picture, as Eric was saying, it's a picture of buried in, in baptism, buried to your sin, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. That's why we say those words from Romans 6 when we baptize. That, that's the exact words I use. I, I take that scripture from Romans chapter 6, and that shows a picture. Here's what happens when Jesus saves you. You're buried just like He was. You're identifying with the death of Christ. Then you're raised up as He was, as you will be, uh, to a new life. You've been forgiven. You've been justified before God by the grace and mercy and blood of Jesus. So that's one major reason. It's a great testimony, great visual picture. But do you know why else we do that? It's not as difficult as you may think. It's because that's what the Bible says. Did you know every baptism in the Bible in the New Testament was done that way? No exception. Every single one. And let, let me tell you why that is. Have you ever seen anyone uh, who is skilled in metalworks and, and is able to actually make a knife or a sword? Like take a piece of steel and, it's, and then craft it and hammer on it and then heat it up and make it malleable and, and shape it just right and, and then put an edge on all those things you have to do to make a sword or a knife. You ever seen that done? You ever seen when it gets super red hot so it can move around a little bit? And, and what, what, when he gets it exactly like he wants it, what's the last thing he does? I tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't sprinkle water on it. He doesn't take a pitcher and pour water on it. He immerses the steel in the water. You know, you know what it does? It fixes the new form. It solidifies the new shape. Makes it permanent. This word, baptizo, in the Greek. You wonder why we're called Baptist? Baptizo. It's right there. That's what that word means. It means to fully immerse in water. So that's what we do. Bible says it. That's what we're supposed to do, Right? Now, what does that get us? What's the benefit or the uh, consequence of that? You were immersed into Christ, he says in verse 27. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself. You put on Jesus. Right, you ever think about that? All right, I'm about to leave the house. Let me get my coat. No. How about I put on Jesus when I walk out the door? We wear the name of Jesus. You ever seen anybody wearing a... Uh, Football jersey, got the name on the back? Alright, we'll picture that. Jesus. Team Jesus. That means, whether you wear it on your back, literally, or you don't, if you're baptized into Christ, if you are identifying yourself with Christ, if you're following Christ, if you believe in Christ, if you've been forgiven by Christ, then you're wearing His name. 
my, my dad used to tell me when I was a teenager, remember, remember what your name is. I only have one name. Don't mess it up. Because he knew that when I went out and acted foolishly, it was eventually a reflection on him, not just me. And so, what do we do when we go out and we act foolishly? It's a reflection on Jesus. You ever wonder why many people just don't want anything to do with the church? They don't want anything to do with, with God or the Bible? You ever wonder why? Because they've seen too many Christians, so-called Christians, who will gl gladly wear the name of Jesus, but aren't so hip on living the life of Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I go to that church. I'm a Christian. I, I, uh, I read the Bible every once in a while. Is that what being a Christian is all about? Is that all it is? Because I, I thought being a Christian was much more difficult than that, much more um, life-changing than that. And so, so many people grab the name of Jesus because it might be fashionable. But when it comes time to really living the life, eh, not, that, not that big a deal. And, and therefore, many people just don't want the organized church anymore. We haven't done a great job of representing Jesus. We've done a great job of attaching His name to ours for its benefits. But we haven't done a great job of living the life. DC Talk, the old Christian, older Christian uh, rock band, came out with a song called What If I Stumble. The very beginning of that song was a a sample from a preacher's sermon and it said the number one cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. That's how big a deal it is to attach ourselves to the name of Jesus. It's not just something cool to do. And it's not just something to impress others. It's, it's serious. It's supposed to mean something significant in life. You have put on Christ. So Paul takes that truth, that statement of verse 27, and when he gets to verse 28, he's making a very big statement to all who are listening, Jews, Gentiles, Judaizers alike. He says this in verse 28, I'll, I'll paraphrase, there are no racial barriers with respect to salvation. There's no Jew or Greek. There are no social barriers with respect to salvation, slave or free man. There are no gender barriers with respect to salvation, male or female. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ brings the ultimate unity. 
You are all one in Christ Jesus. You see that? Verse 28. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So what benefit do we receive for belonging to Christ? The Bible says in verse 29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. So because of our union with the seed, Jesus Christ, from Genesis 3.15, so now we are Abraham's seed, so we are heirs according to promise, the promise that God made to Abraham. So I want to just be very clear about what verses 27 and 28 mean before we move past those. Because some people would read that, misinterpret that, and then misapply that, and, then, and they would blur gender roles, they'll blur everything else in the church and, and try to apply this and say, oh, well, see right there, it says no, no, neither male nor female, so, you know, forget about biblical manhood or womanhood or, or what, you know, what, whatever the Bible says. We do whatever we want. That's not what that means. What that means is, as I said earlier, with respect to salvation, there are no racial barriers, there are no social barriers, there are no gender barriers. Everyone who believes in Jesus, who believes the gospel, who places faith in Christ, is accepted by God. Salvation, by grace through faith in Christ alone. There's, there's no barrier. That is why when you read the, the Bible as a whole, but specifically the New Testament and even more particularly the book of Revelation, and you get to Revelation 5, you get to Revelation 7, and you see the picture of worship in heaven, and you see a throne, and you see the Lamb seated on the throne, and you see around the throne worshiping 24-7 people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. It's because everyone is represented in heaven. Everyone. So that's what that verse, those two verses particularly mean, verse 27-28. Everyone who has been baptized into Christ has put on Christ. So we are all one in Christ. That's why there should be unity in the church, and that's why there should be unity in our faith, and that's why we take the gospel to every single person we can, with no exception. Put your faith in Christ to be in God's family. Number two, understand the difference between the law and the gospel. And this is a little bit different from last week, uh, from our message last week, but, uh, but also similar. The difference between the law and the gospel. Now Paul talks, out, uh, talks about here, he starts out with a human example. He gives an example of a child that has an inheritance. Now we all know if you are a child and you have an inheritance... There's what's called a guardian or an administrator of that. Until you reach legal age, you turn 18, and then you are in control of your inheritance. But up to that point, you're not. So look what Paul says with this human example. A minor child who is the heir to a fortune has no power over his inheritance. So therefore, practically speaking, there's no practical difference between the heir and the slave as long as he's a child. The child who is the heir, is under the authority of guardians until he's old enough to make decisions. And the time of that uh, decision-making is determined beforehand by the father of the child. Now, let's compare that human example to spiritual things. When you look at God's people, God's people were in effect children. 
because we were incapable of making good, informed decisions about faith and works and how to live a holy life. And so God put His people under guardians known as the law. Remember last week we said in, um, let's see what verse it was, uh, verse 22 and verse 23, we were kept in custody under the law. And verse 24, the law had become our tutor, our child conductor to lead us to Jesus. So the law was meant to kind of keep us in line, right? Because we didn't know well enough on our own. So God's people were children not capable of making good informed decisions, so we were governed by the law to protect us until God showed us a new and better way. Now, I want to explain one brief thing to you about the, the grammar here that's used because it's very instructive. There's some things called imperfect verbs that describe a uh, continual action that's going on in the past tense. And then as I've talked about multiple times before, a perfect passive participle, uh, those things go along with the verb, but if it's passive, you know what that means. We're not doing the action, the action's being done to us, right? We're passive, we're not active. And if it's perfect, that it describes a situation that is completed and done in the past tense, but the result of it just keeps on going. So you put all that together, all that grammatical stuff, and here's what happens. When you read verse 3, you understand that while we were children, we were enslaved or held in bondage to the elementary things of the world. So here's what that means. Before Christ, this was an ongoing condition that we had to have the law to keep us headed straight toward God. But here's what it demonstrated. We talked about this in more detail last week. The reason we had the law was to point out all the things we couldn't do. Right? So we wouldn't know we did something wrong unless there was a law that told us it was wrong. And that was the purpose. God introduced the law 430 years, by the way, as we said, after the promise to Abraham. So He introduced the law to say, oh, I'm not supposed to do that because this is God's law. So that means God says these things are harmful to you. Don't do those. These are the right things to do. Do these things. Stay on this path governed by the law for a time and then there will come a time when the law is not used in the same way. It's not abolished, as Jesus said. It's fulfilled in Christ. And so this condition we had was before Christ. So when you read, read verse 3, also we, while we were children were held in bondage or enslaved to the elementary things of the world. So this was the condition we were in. Now what does that do? We were in that condition. So that leads us to believe we're not currently in that condition. right? So this sets up the transition to God's redemptive act in verse 4. The greatest word in this passage is that little conjunction. But... Something's about to change. That's our condition before Christ. We were enslaved to the elementary things of the world. We were kept as uh, slaves to the law until Jesus came. And then we get to verse 4, but God, God did something. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son. That right there is a reason to rejoice in every church in the world. 
until, until we saw Jesus, we had a rough go of it. We had the law bearing down on us, trying to point us in the right direction. And all we did over and over again was fail. So when we do that, what is supposed to be our conclusion? Man, I just can't, I just can't do all that. I can't keep all these laws. I can't do all the right things I'm supposed to do. Man, I sure wish there was somebody who could free me up from this. But God, when the fullness of time came, sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. You see, God didn't need a plan B because He knew His plan A was perfect. It was perfect. The time was perfect. The place was perfect. The circumstances were perfect. And the person is perfect. Jesus. God had determined beforehand the fullness of time. God's Son was sent forth at that time. God's Son was born of a woman. He subjected Himself to the plight of humanity. He didn't have to do that. He was in heaven. He was in glory. He's God. He didn't have to do that. He was born under the law. He subjected Himself to the same law given to us. Go look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11. You want to jot that down and read it later. Philippians 2, 5-11. through 11, One of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. Jesus, although He was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or exerted, but He humbled Himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And being born in the likeness of men, He humbled Himself. He became obedient to death, even the death of a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what Jesus did. He did not have to do that. He willingly, knowingly did that. Because that was the plan. God sent forth His Son at the perfect time to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to redeem those under the law. You see, this, this plan, this purpose is so clearly stated here after verse 4 tells us what happened, verse 5 tells us why it happened. The purpose. So that He might redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's a big deal. What Jesus did is a big, big deal. And so, when you look at the grand picture, let, let's just do a quick review here. God determined the right time. God sent forth His Son. God determined the conditions for His birth. God then sent forth the Spirit of His Son. God redeemed us through His Son. So we receive adoption as sons. Notice it doesn't say, so that way you can, if you work hard enough, you can be adopted. It's 
not what it says. So we, we read all these things. God did this, God did that, God determined this, God sent this, God redeemed us through Christ, and we received. So um, don't we play some kind of part in this process? I mean, we do something too, right? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We sin. Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Let's just ponder that a moment. Were it not for sin, Jesus would not have died. That's our contribution to this grand story. We caused it. We sinned. We set the plan in motion because God's redemptive act was necessary to reconcile us back to Himself because we can't do that. We cannot save ourselves. There is nothing we can do to get us back to God. So God came to get us. Isn't that... Doesn't that just blow your mind? I don't have to know anything about any of you. Good, bad, indifferent. I don't have to know anything about any of you. I know enough about myself. This blows my mind. Why? Why would he do that? I'm not that important. <laughs> And, and don't worry, you aren't either. We're not that awesome to merit the death of Christ. So you know what that leaves us with? It leaves us with unbelievable love, grace, mercy, kindness, patience, Righteousness. Holiness. That's Jesus. He didn't, he didn't do this simply because we're that great and He needed us that badly. If you're keeping score, He doesn't need us. We need Him. He is self-sufficient, almighty on His throne. He needs nothing and no one. We need Him for everything. And His plan made that a reality. Don't you see? This is a picture. I had someone was doing a, a it was a Christmas party. Someone was asking for, well, what, what Bible verse comes to your mind when you think about Christmas? You know, people are talking about you know, the story of Jesus' birth and all this stuff. I raised my hand. I said, Galatians 4. And they looked at me like, What? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I said, have you read it? Galatians 4, verse 4. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's a great gift. You want to think about Christmas? Think about gifts? That's the best gift I've ever received. So, here's the, the, I guess, the uh, conclusion to all this. When you look at verse 7, 
thinking about what we've just received. Adoption as sons. Because of what Jesus did. We're in God's family now. And, and the Bible says, because you're sons, God put the Holy Spirit into your hearts so now we can genuinely call Him Daddy. That's what Abba means. It's a very, very close, intimate term. Abba Father. Daddy. Because we're in the family. You call Him Daddy. So did you know the only way we can call God Daddy is by the Holy Spirit? So he, he put, He sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts so we can cry out, Daddy. So the implication is, the only way we can do that is because of the Holy Spirit that is within, within every Christian. Which means, if you're not a Christian, you have no business calling God Father. And that, that can be a little difficult to digest. But here's an illustration. Can you imagine running up to a complete stranger on the street and calling him daddy? That'd be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? Weird. Wrong. Is it any more weird to not be a believer but still try to call God your father? Because in a practical sense, that's what's happening. A lot of people use the name of God many in ways that it was never intended to be used. A lot of people say, well, I've got to give credit to the man upstairs or, you know, thank the good Lord or, you know, just real casual like. God is not the man upstairs. He is the almighty creator of the universe. And, and we do not have any business just flippantly tossing His name around. Because the worship and the glory and the honor that is due only to Him, I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's a gift of God's grace that He doesn't just zap me out of existence because that's what I deserve so he, he's, he is so much more than the man upstairs there's only one way of entrance into the family of God there's only one way of salvation there's only one way of forgiveness there's only one way for eternal life there's only one Savior and Lord. His name is Jesus. At just the right time, the perfect time in history, God sent forth His Son to be born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law. He had a plan, and His plan was perfect. He didn't need a contingency. He didn't need a backup. He knew what He was doing then, and He knows what He's doing now. So if, if you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Christ, 
Today may be the day of your salvation. You see, we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, which means we have all fallen short of God's standard. And because of that, the Bible tells us we have earned a death sentence. That's what that means. When you read Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That means that's what we've earned. Those are the wages that are due to us. And thankfully, because God has amazing grace and endless mercy, He's provided the cure for our sinful condition because God loved the world in a very particular way. He gave. He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him, not just everybody, it's available to everybody, but it is given to those who believe. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And the Bible tells us, again, Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Flip another couple pages. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that is the ultimate question before us today. Have, have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you really called on His name? Have you asked Him for forgiveness? Have you surrendered everything to Him? That's what that means, to call on the name of the Lord. Because He is calling your name. And He's waiting for your response. Boy, I pray it's I pray it's yes. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.